0: Know uh, when he said this or that, but for the most part, we're able to determine uh, the sequence of events. And uh, so, the passage that I'm going to be preaching from today is a second and third Sabbath controversy. The first one we encountered two weeks ago, Jimmy Winfrey preached last week, but the week before that, from John chapter 5, Jesus was uh, criticized for healing a man on the Sabbath, and as best we can tell, these two events that are in the text that I'll be preaching from today followed uh, immediately after that, and so really controversial about the the Sabbath day. There is so much that might be said about the Sabbath day. On Wednesday nights, I'm uh, leading the congregation through a study of the Baptist Catechism, and we're we're entering into the section of the Catechism that deals with the Ten Commandments. And so uh, it is my hope, Lord willing, that in weeks to come on Wednesday night, I will give you a more thorough defense of... uh, What's called the perpetuity of the Sabbath, that is, that the uh, the Sabbath day is something that is a, is a blessing which has also been extended to New Covenant believers and wasn't limited just to Old Covenant believers. Uh, so I I don't plan to give that defense this morning. I think that the main point of the the passage, the main points that Jesus make made could probably be made regarding some other commandment but the commandment that uh, pulls the trigger on these uh, these teachings from Jesus was the accusation that he was breaking the sabbath now put a marker here or keep your finger here and turn to mark chapter 3 i don't plan to uh, read mark chapter 3 as my text but there are a couple of things that Mark includes about these encounters that are significant, and uh, so put a marker there at Mark chapter three. And if I don't forget, then when I come to uh, the arguments that Mark includes that Matthew does not, I'll have you flip over there to Mark and see what Matthew includes that uh, what Mark includes that Matthew does not. You know, here at Bullet Lick, we uh, have Apple Butter Day every fall. And uh, it's a great day. Enjoy it a lot. And uh, I am blessed to be able to supply the church with the two apple butter kettles that we use. They both belong to me, but before they belonged to me, they belonged to my mother. And uh, one of them had three holes knocked in the bottom. Because before they had belonged to my mother, some imbecile had knocked holes in the bottom of this 30-gallon copper kettle and used it as a planter. And uh, so, my apologies to any of you who have knocked holes in the bottom of uh, (laughs) copper kettles to use as planters, but that's not what that kettle was made for. Once uh, my mother acquired those kettles, she used both of them as uh, receptacles to display quilts. So you can't really display the quilt very much, but you can roll them up and and fill the kettle with quilts. And so she had those uh, apple butter kettles in her home. She loved to decorate with antiques, and uh, they were full of quilts. But that's not what the apple butter kettles were made for. What the apple butter kettles were made for is what we use them for when we have Apple Butter Day. And it's filled with all of this sweet and fragrant and delicious apple butter that so many of us enjoy. Well, it's possible to uh, put things in religion on display so that effectively they become no more than receptacles for displaying something, and when that happens, regrettably, what often gets displayed is not the glory of God, but the glory of the person who has reduced a commandment of God to being something that he uses to show off with. Now, this is a danger that all of us face. Uh, In some ways, uh, some of you might hear this sermon and, and think, what does keeping or disobeying the Sabbath day have to do with any of us? What has that got to do with us? And I hope to show you in weeks to come that it may have more than you have realized to do with you. Uh, but uh, the, problem, the, the problem that Jesus addresses here in this passage of scripture is that there were some religious leaders in his day who had taken the Sabbath day that was meant to be filled with fragrant, delicious, sweet fragrance to God, apple butter to God, and they had instead turned it into a receptacle for displaying their own righteousness. Instead, and they, they, they were ignoring the main purpose for which God had given the Sabbath day. Now, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Jesus once told his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. By the time Jesus tells this to his disciples, they've already been with Jesus for months. And uh, they have already seen that the Pharisees and the Herodians are the bad guys that are attacking Jesus and attacking them and always finding fault with them. And then one day in the ship going across the Sea of Galilee, not really a ship but a a large boat, Jesus tells them, Beware of the leaven or the yeast of the scribes and Pharisees. And they thought he was talking about bread. And they began to discuss among themselves, It's because we brought no bread. And Jesus Jesus tells them, no, I can can take care of bread. Don't you remember the 4,000, the 5,000? I can take care of bread. I'm telling you to beware of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians. Well, if we're going to beware of it, I think we need to have some idea of what it is. And I'm going to maintain that it's something that is a temptation for us. So I think that the essence of the dangerous teaching of the scribes and Pharisees can really be summarized in two things. Uh, One is that they, they did what they did so that other people would see it and admire them for it. Now that's a danger that every religious person faces, that you will Fall into that, the, the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes and Herodians, that you will do what you do so that other people will see it. Now, the second thing is really very close to it. But it's that you do what you do so that you will see it. So that you can kind of check off a box and say, I've done that, now I can go on with my life. When people have the wrong idea that religion consists of outward things that they do and their heart is not changed, those outward things become a burden. They become something that you just, you just want to get it over with. It's the way, it's the way some of us regard uh, doing our workout for the day. I, I work out almost every day, but most days I don't wake up saying, oh boy, I get to work out today. I, I dread it, and, uh, and, and I, oh man, do I have to go through the warm-up, because if there's something in the workout that I enjoy doing, I just, I just hate going through the 10 minutes of warm-up to do it, but I do it anyway, and when it's done, I check that box, done with the workout for the day. Now let's go on and and get on with the things that I really want to do. That's the way Pharisees treat religion. And there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us that wants, wants religion to be taken care of that way. And so it's very common among even Bible believers to compile a list of, if I'm a Christian, here are the things that I don't do. And then here's a list of the things that I will do if I'm a Christian. So... On the don't do list, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to use drugs. I'm not going to beat up my wife. Good. Check off all those things. And then on the do side, you know, I am going to read a little bit of the Bible every day. So, you know, I've got the phone in one hand, the Bible in the other hand, and checking Facebook here and reading the Bible there. But when you're done... Check, read the Bible for the day. I've got to pray. If I'm a Christian, I've got to pray. More than just at meals, okay. So, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the the Lord my soul to take. Check, done. Uh, And, you know, various religious groups will compile lists of things that if you don't do these things and you do practice these things, then you're good. And that, I think, is the essence of the leaven or the bad teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, that you're going to be content with doing things that other people see, or you're going to be content with checking off the list that your religious group provides that says, You're in the club if you don't do these things and you do practice these things. And I think that the primary teaching of all of the teaching of Jesus, but it's really obvious in what we're getting ready to go over, is it's not a surface thing. Keeping the Sabbath is not a surface thing. And like I said, I think that he could have chosen any one of the Ten Commandments. Going to church is not just... A, a surface thing, uh, you know, not committing adultery is not just a surface thing. Not stealing is not just a surface thing. There's, there are attitudes of the heart that are, that are addressed and, and integral, essential to obeying God in these ways. But in this passage, it's the Sabbath day that pulls the trigger. Now there are actually there are two Sabbath day controversies that I'm lumping into this same sermon. The first one takes place in the fields, and the second one takes place in the synagogue. So we're getting ready to plunge into the sermon now after that introduction. And the first the first is the setting. So first the setting. First of all, we're going to see what happens in the fields. We're going to see what is the accusation that is made with the in the field's incident. What's the accusation? And then what are the answers that Jesus gives? And we'll see the same thing in the synagogue. What's the accusation? And then what are the answers? So with that introduction, let's look and see here in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. All right, let me just pause right there and say if you have never done this, you ought to do it. So, if you're ever around a wheat field that is golden and ripe and ready to harvest, just pluck some of the heads off and you can rub them in the palm of your hand, and the chaff will separate from the kernels. You might have to blow it a little bit or toss it up and let the wind take away the chaff, but you'll end up With just uh, from a head of wheat, then you might have 12 or 15 little grains of wheat there. And if you pop that in your mouth and chew it, it's pretty cool. Uh, So as you chew it, then the bran and the wheat germ will separate from the gluten. And uh, so you swallow the bran and the wheat germ, but you keep on chewing, and you've got this little wad of gluten in your mouth. And it's almost, as, it's almost as dense as a stick of chewing gum. And you can chew it for a long time if you want to. So just a curious, how many of you are in here have ever done that? Any of you ever done that? So, so there are a couple of people who have lived life to the full. <coughs> and uh, yeah, so for the rest of you who have never done that, when you're around a wheat field, uh, do that. You say, well, is, is such a thing legal? According to the Old Testament, it is. In the Old Testament, if you were walking through someone's wheat field, you were allowed to pick a few heads off and eat it. You just couldn't take a basket and sickle in there and start taking taking their wheat home. And the same thing is specified about a vineyard. If you're going through a vineyard and you're just really hungry, it's okay for you to pluck a few grapes. You just can't take a basket in there and start cutting the guy's grapes. Uh, So in the Old Testament, there was provision made for what the disciples were doing here, going through the grain fields, rubbing it in their hands, and then eating it. Okay, so nothing wrong with that. They weren't breaking any laws. And they weren't. They weren't breaking the law of the Sabbath. The Lord doesn't forbid people to eat on the Sabbath. But in the Pharisees' eyes, this was harvesting. So they criticized, verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So that's the accusation. They were, not, they were not violating any Old Testament law. I hope that the Pharisees would not have found any fault with them doing this on any other day of the week. But when they did it on the Sabbath day, they said, You're harvesting and they're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees had... Uh, had a very high regard for the law of God. And so to keep away from uh, disobeying one of the commandments, then they would build little fences around that commandment, metaphorically. They'd been little, build little fences around it. So if you're not supposed to harvest your crop on the Sabbath day, let's just build a little fence here that says you can't pluck any heads of grain at all on the Sabbath day. And so if you don't pluck any heads of grain... You're not going to step over that fence and, and violate the real heart of the prohibition. And sometimes they would build numerous fences away from, away from uh, the commandment. And Jesus will address some of those in the course of his ministry. Um, and again, that's, that is a tendency that, that, little Pharisee, that little drop of Phariseeism that is in all of us has a tendency to do that. The, the Bible doesn't forbid something, but we say, well, I'm going, I'm going to completely avoid the trouble that's on the other side of that prohibition, and so I'm going to back off and back off. And if you want to do that personally, I think you've got the liberty to do that. Just don't start making up rules for other people that you say this is a standard of righteousness. So, um, but they... Uh, they had made this fence, you can't even pluck heads of grain. That's the accusation, you're violating the Sabbath. They really weren't. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, boys, don't do that today. But, uh, but they weren't doing anything that was wrong. And Jesus was there. If he was not plucking heads of grain, he must not have been or they would have accused him. Uh, but he at least gave his tacit approval to the fact that they were doing this. Nothing, nothing sinful about it. But they said, violating the Sabbath. And now let's look at the answers that Jesus gives. And the first one very likely has caused you some puzzlement over the years. So verse 3 is the answer, that the first answer that Jesus gives. He says, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Okay, that's the first answer, and it is, it's formed in a question. Now, we read, we read this story, and if you're a Bible reader, you know the story already. But if you've never read the story before, here's the situation. David uh, was a servant in the house of Saul, But Saul had displeased the Lord, and so the Lord had decided that David was going to be the next king. But for several years, David did not sit on the throne. Instead, he served as a servant in the house of Saul. But Saul got really jealous of David, and Saul tried to kill David more than once. And so finally, David realized he had to run away to get away from Saul and preserve his life. And so one day, he and a few of his followers have run away from Saul to get away from Saul's murderous intentions, and they don't have anything to eat. And so they stop by the, the tabernacle, and there he asks the, uh, the priest that was on duty, do you have anything to eat? Uh, we need about five loaves of bread. And the priest said, oh, I don't have anything. It, well, there is... There is the bread of the presence. Now, what is that? So, under the under the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to make a very special tent. And he was very specific about the way that it was supposed to be made and what was supposed to go in it. So, one of the things that was in that tent was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was in a very special room called the Holy of Holies. But before you got into the Holy of Holies, and it wasn't a very big tent. Not even... Not It would easily fit in this auditorium. So in one of the rooms, the first room that one would go into, there was a lampstand, there was an incense burner, and then there was a, a low table that had loaves of bread on it. And there were 12 loaves of bread there, and they were a burnt offering to the Lord. What? Did the bread have to be burnt? I mean, I, I've known some cooks who could just accommodate that every single time. But uh, no, it's called a burnt offering, and instead of fire, they put frankincense on it. And uh, the frankincense was a burnt... The frankincense took the place of fire, and it was like a burnt offering to the Lord. It's, you know, saying, Lord, everything that you have given food to eat. It comes from you. We know you don't need to eat bread, but as a token of our appreciation, we're going to uh, put this bread. God told them to do that, so they didn't just think, hey, let's feed God some bread. God told them to do that, and then God said, and this bread, after it's been there, it had to be replaced every Sabbath day, but he says, after it's been there for a week, then you priests can have it. And uh, so it was part of the priest's provision for serving as a priest. And so when Ahimelech, who was the priest on duty that day when David came by, said, you can have the bread of the presence, then Ahimelech was giving up his bread and saying, "You, you can have it. But the thing is, only the priests were supposed to eat it. But here, David, in his need eats it. He and the people who are with him. Now, this may have puzzled you because on the surface, it looks like Jesus might be saying, if your situation is dire enough, you can go ahead and break God's law to take care of your needs. So another application would be if you're hungry enough, it's okay for you to steal in order to satisfy your hunger. That would be an application of the principle. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, on the surface, it looks like that's what he could be saying. If if your situation is serious enough, then it's okay for you to break one of God's laws. Now, that's not the right interpretation. And uh, there are several things that should help us to understand that. Uh, For one thing, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, I have not come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law. In fact, until heaven and earth disappear, not one tiny stroke of pen that constitutes the law is going to disappear until it's all fulfilled. Anyone who disobeys the law or who teaches others to disobey the law, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so that's Jesus Flat out forthright teaching with respect to the law don't break don't break the law and then I think of like when when the when the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be moved, it was supposed to be carried by the priests and no one else. but there was a very dark time in Israel when the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the philistines and and uh, but David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and so uh, he put it on a new cart. And uh, was taking it back to Jerusalem. And as he was going back to the cart, the, the oxen that were pulling the cart stumbled. And the ark shook like it was going to fall. And there was a man there who just reached out his hand to steady the ark. And he touched the ark. And God struck him dead. And David was like, wow. Who can serve a God who is this picky? That's a paraphrase, and uh, so then he he puts the ark into the house of a man named Obed-Edom for a while, and and then and then he does his homework a little bit more. Ah, we shouldn't have had it on an, a cart. We're not supposed to. No one's supposed to touch the ark, and and so the next time they did it right, and they were able to successfully bring it. It's stories like that that. Made even King David say, God is such a consuming fire. He wants things to be done just exactly the way that he prescribes. And that's true. That make me say, Jesus is not saying here, if you get desperate enough, you can go ahead and break a law. Well, what is he saying here? I think the answer to that will become more clear as we see his second answer. And then I'll... I'll come back and show you what the answer to both of these is. So so the first answer that Jesus gives uh, is that know what David did. Now look at the next thing that he says in verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, I'm I'm classifying what he says in verse 6 as a third reason, but it's actually a subcategory of the first two. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. But now here's the principle. David was allowed to eat the, the bread that had been designated only for the priests. He was allowed to eat it. He was not sinning when he ate it because David was the anointed king of Israel. And as the anointed king of Israel, there were some special privileges that were accorded to him. Something greater than the regulation about the bread of the presence was there. And that something greater was David himself, the anointed king of Israel. Now, in the second answer that Jesus gives, don't you know that when the priests minister on the Sabbath day in the temple, they're working Are those guys breaking the Sabbath? No. Why? Same principle. Because there's something greater than the priest. there. There's the temple. There's the place where God has said, I'm going to dwell with my people. And so the temple, if we can personify it, the temple has the right to say, on the Sabbath day, you priests may serve me. Now, Jesus is the anointed king of God's kingdom. Jesus is the temple where God meets with man. And Jesus says, if I want my disciples to to pluck heads of grain and eat bread on the Sabbath day, I have the authority to say that it can be done. So, something greater than the temple is here. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. So the same principle, the greater can grant permission to the lesser, the same principle that made it okay for David to eat the showbread, that made the same principle that makes it okay for priests to work on the Sabbath day is at work right here because something greater than the temple, and he might have added some, someone greater than David, is here. So... That's the third reason. Something greater than the temple is here, even himself. But now, let's go on and see what he says next. A fourth reason. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Now, verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now this is in the same family of reasons but it's sufficiently different that I I think that we can can call it almost in a category by itself. Jesus is saying, you guys have failed to understand that the purpose of all of God's commandments can be summarized in two things. The purpose of all of God's commandments is... Is so that you would learn to love God and that you would learn to love people. And you've turned the Sabbath into something that has become a burden and that it doesn't relieve people. The average citizen dreads seeing the Sabbath day come along because you guys are walking around looking to make sure everybody is, is keeping it, is keeping the Sabbath holy. You guys have missed the point. The point of all of this is to promote mercy. If you had had understood this passage of Scripture, which we read just a few minutes ago from Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you'd understood that, then you would not have condemned these innocent men. What would have gone through your mind instead of, oh, they're breaking the Sabbath, is, you know, these guys are hungry. Why don't we? Why don't we get together and take them out and get a bagel? And uh, instead of oh boy, they're breaking the Sabbath, your perspective would have been, man, these guys are skinny. These guys need these guys need some food. Now I think that this is this is a verse of scripture that you need to have memorized, and it's easy to memorize the lord says i desire mercy and not sacrifice so when you are in a position where you're teetering on the edge of should i show mercy or not lean into mercy lean into mercy if you make a mistake leaning into mercy i think it's going to be a small mistake don't don't voluntarily deliberately break god's law Don't deliberately interfere with what God is doing that may require punishment or the administration of justice. But as much as it is possible for you and me, lean into mercy. Oh, let the people around you, if they have to pick five words to describe you, let one of them be, He is merciful, she is kind. She is thoughtful. He is considerate. All of those are ways that we lean into mercy. Now, I can't espouse every song that was made popular by the singer that I'm getting ready to quote. But one of her her early hits was, I may not be every mother's dream for her little girl. And my face may not grace the minds of everyone in the world. But that's all right. As long as I can have one thing I pray. When people look inside my life. I want to hear them say. She has her father's eyes. Eyes full of compassion. Feeling every pain. Knowing what you're going through. And feeling it the same. Eyes that. To see the good in things when good is not around. Eyes that find the source of help when help just can't be found. Just like my father's eyes. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of you. And I think that it is true of Bullet Lake Baptist Church. Another another, uh, poem that I love so much that encapsulates this same idea was... uh, written by, I think, a woman. I haven't done a lot of research into it. But it was, I know this part of the story. She had been influenced by an older Christian who knew theology very well. And this younger Christian is expressing her appreciation for what she has seen in the older woman. But listen to what it is. Not only in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way as Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile or holy light upon your brow? Oh no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. To me, it not the truth you taught. To you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me. And from your lips, his love is shed. Till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. That's what happens when you are a person who just persistently presses into mercy. The Lord says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Did, did the Lord require sacrifice? He did. But you miss the point of the sacrifice if you come away from that sacrifice saying, that's done, now let me get on with my life and rake some poor widow over the coals. No, a sacrifice is supposed to make you say, I deserve to be there. Where that bleeding animal is, I deserve to be there. But God has found a way to forgive me with all of my sins. God has found a way to forgive me. Now who can I forgive? When when you understand sacrifice, it turns you into a forgiver. And there are no exceptions to that. If you cannot forgive others, it's evidence that you yourself have not been forgiven. So press into mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now for the fifth answer that Jesus gives, keep your finger here, flip over to uh, Mark chapter 3. It's actually the end of uh, Mark chapter 2. At the end of Mark chapter 2... Uh, Jesus says something in verse 27, it's recorded, that we don't have in in uh, Matthew chapter 12. And what we have in verse 27 is this, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So instead of it being a burden, oh boy, I dread this. If If your perspective towards the Lord's day, towards the Sabbath day is right, it's like oh boy, I can't, wait. I can't wait for it to come because the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then what Jesus says next is in both Mark and Matthew. So while we're here in, at the end of Mark, let's just see what it says here. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now I think that this provides a pretty significant argument for the perpetuity of the Sabbath day. When Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, is he saying that the Sabbath is a good thing or a bad thing? He's saying it's a good thing. You guys have messed it up, but it's a good thing. The Sabbath was made for you. It's a gift from God. And then the next thing that he says is, therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It doesn't make sense that what he's saying is, therefore I'm going to abolish it. Yeah, God gave you a great gift in my kingdom. We're not going to have that gift. No, that's not the way God gave you a great gift. You have soiled it, but let's take the dirt off of it. It's it's a good gift. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so I do believe that the Sabbath is of... Well, I have to check myself from saying perpetual obligation. Let's instead think of it as... Ongoing privilege instead of perpetual obligation. Ongoing privilege. Here is a gift that the Lord has given. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now while we are here in Mark, let me point t- out something else that's not, that's not in Matthew. So in Mark chapter 3, we see the next uh, accusation of his breaking the Sabbath. Just look at verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. That's something that does not appear in Matthew, that grieved at their hardness of heart. So uh, I'll make reference to that a little later when we, when we get to that. So back in Matthew chapter 12, we have seen the first setting is the setting that was in the fields. And uh, the accusation, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath... Jesus gave them the the six answers that we have seen here, adding the one that we got from Mark. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But the last one is, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Something greater than David, something greater than the temple is here. And uh, and I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Now, it will only take us a few minutes to see what it says in uh, chapter 12, in verses 9 through 14. So this is the second setting. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Uh, there was something else I meant to show you in Mark. You have to look at it later. Jesus sees that there's a man there with a withered hand. And he calls him to come forward and stand in front of them. So it's like, all right, let's just bring this to a head. Is there going to be a fight? Come here. So he calls this man with the withered hand to come. And uh, then, then he says what we have here in Matthew. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were doing this so that they might accuse him. He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Sabbath. All right, two, two principles here, just really clear. People are more valuable than animals, is the case here. But just think of how important and valuable people are. That's a significant part of Sabbath day observance, that you, you serve others and that you do good on the Sabbath. That's the second principle that is laid down. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So in addition to the six answers that Jesus gives us in the account of what happened in the fields, are also these two additional things. Remember, not only am I greater than the temple, but people are greater than these people. Petty regulations that you have added to God's law. Remember the importance of people. They're more valuable than sheep. And it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Well, the points of application that I had, I've I've mostly already uh, hammered home. And one is, value the gift of the Sabbath. And we'll talk more about that in weeks to come if God spares our lives. Uh, But the second thing is press hard into mercy. If you have been shown mercy, you have great incentive to show other people mercy. The purpose of... One of the purposes of Jesus' sacrifice is to turn you into a forgiving person who has his father's eyes, who has her father's eyes full of compassion. The... Becoming a forgiving person, becoming a compassionate, merciful person, really commences when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, I I read a passage of Scripture like this and think thoroughly about it, and I come away just with a quiet sense of admiration and satisfaction that Jesus is my Lord. I like Him I I don't like the people who were against him. But I like him. And I like the answers that he gives. I want to be on Jesus' side. And uh, I hope you do too. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.